time of prayer. I'm going to invite Laura now to come up and read our scripture, followed by uh, Rebecca. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will re rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed, clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Thank you, Laura. Good morning, everyone. My name is Rebecca, as Helen said, and it's just an honor to be with you here this morning. Um, we're so excited that the Ride for Refuge is uh, coming up soon, as was announced this morning. Uh, it's such a great family activity. It's an intergenerational event. And I'll just say, although we've ridden together as a family for the past few years, I can honestly say last year was our best year yet. And the reason for that is that because we saw something we haven't seen for years on Ride Day, and that was the sun. <laughs> the sun shined last year. We have ridden through rain, wind, and yes, even snow on Ride Day. <laughs> but uh, not to scare you, the church that hosts it are good Canadian hosts, and they always serve hot chocolate alongside the hot dogs that they serve you afterwards. So yeah, it'll warm you up. So I really hope you guys get a chance to be a part of that. It's a great family activity. So as we continue our, our sermon series today, God of our fathers, and of our mothers. Today we'll focus on a local Canadian woman, the refugee activist, Mary Jo Letty. Just wanna introduce you to her now. If you haven't met, take a moment to say hello. Um, we wanna focus a little bit on Mary Jo and her response to God's call for justice. So as we read today in the scripture reading um, from Isaiah 61, 
The prophet Isaiah boldly challenged the people of Israel to return to God and to really love him with all their hearts and all their minds. We'll just put up the slide again for Isaiah 61. It's a whole beautiful passage, but I just wanted to focus on the beginning of that. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. It's a direct challenge that the prophet Isaiah gave to the people of Israel. But this biblical challenge is timeless. It applies to us and our world today, maybe even more so. And a response is needed to this challenge. Will it be faith and stepping out in action or unbelief and questioning? Humanity really carries this capacity for freedom of choice, for good of evil. And this passage tells us a lot about God's heart and God's response to the world. In the first part, God's calling us to preach the good news because there's enough bad news in the world that demands a counteraction. But God's heart is he wants the good news of his kingdom spread. And to bind up the brokenhearted, how many hearts do you know that are personally broken, wounded, hurting, lonely, or falling apart? Eric touched on this today in his prayer as well. This really shows us God's compassionate heart, that he cares for our hearts, and he he wants those to be full. And proclaiming freedom for the captives. In our culture, we are so captive to so many vices. Not only our fears, our anxieties, maybe money, sex, Wi-Fi, whatever it is, we often don't see what we're trapped up in in our culture around us. But God wants freedom for us. That's his good news. And release from darkness for the, from the, for the prisoners. The imagery here is just beautiful. It's poetic. The idea of prisoners living in darkness and released into the good light of God's kingdom. And that's really his heart for all of us, is release. So this challenge came from the prophet Isaiah. And for Mary Jo Letty, her response to God's call for justice was this, simple obedience changes history. I'll put that quote up. So Mary Jo, as I'll refer to you, who you've just met, is a Canadian academic, a writer, a speaker, a theologian, and a social justice activist. She holds her PhD from the University of Toronto, and she's an adjunct professor there. Mary Jo is also the founder and the director of the Romero Refugee House in Toronto and a former member, oh sorry, and a member of the Order of Canada. (laughs) She's still a member. She's also a former Catholic nun um, who is referred to as a sister. That was part of her training I'll speak to in a moment. I did have the privilege to meet Mary Jo while I was still in my youth and I was deeply influenced by her work with refugees which was then quite a new thing amongst activists in Canada. She had come to teach in a conference in Vancouver and she was hosted by the small NGO I was working with at the time. We had dinner together along with a group of activists and they chatted about their work and different challenges, different hurdles, and just the newness of it all and the best approach to take. I think what really struck me at that time 
is that Mary Jo was so humble and at the same time so committed. And her life's work has really demonstrated this. Mary Jo became a very public figure through her activism with refugees right here in Canada and more specifically in the city of Toronto. About 20 years ago, the city of Toronto was in a very similar position that Kitchener-Waterloo has found itself in more recently, in the past five years or so. Toronto had an influx of both government-sponsored refugees and refugee claimants, and the city found the need to quickly develop supportive systems and structures to meet the needs of this fast-growing community. Local governance was trying hard to keep up, but there was so much need and such a steep learning curve. What do we do with everyone? How do we help them? At the time of the refugee crisis, as they deemed it in Toronto, Mary Jo was a professor at Regis College, and she was peacefully teaching her students about the intersection of religious life and community involvement. Before that time as a teacher, she had originally entered a more traditional form of religious life. In the 1960s, she became a Catholic nun, and in her words, her own words, had made a decision to leave the world forever. But when she encountered a book in the Novite, this is a fancy word for where the nuns live, um, the title of the book was called The Catholic Nun in the World. She read this book and she really began to question the meaning of her life call and her commitment. She decided that she wanted to be involved in the world and that was God's call for her. So after 30 years as a member of the Roman Catholic Sisters of Our Lady of Sion, she left the congregation in 1994. Mary Jo says about that moment, there's a slide there, my desire to be critical and constructive flows from my conviction of the importance of religious life as a prophetic gift for the church. My hope is in the promise of religious life for both the world and the church. And that's from one of her earlier books, Reweaving the Religious Life. I do believe there's something to be considered about the time that Mary Jo spent as a sister. She had so much time in prayer, in thinking deeply, and in serving God. The significance of those years deeply impacted her future work. Pause for a moment and consider, can you imagine 30 years spent in prayer? That's literally thousands of hours. So just the effect that would take on her spirit to shape the rest of her life. But now back to her transition as a public activist. As we have seen, her faithful conviction to God's call for justice was already established. But now what? What to do with this call? She wanted to work in the world, but she, wasn't able, she didn't have a forum for that yet. So what to do for this hope for change? I want to take a moment to read you an excerpt from a, her book, At the Border Called Hope, Where Refugees Are Neighbors. It's a small beginning to her activism, but it's so essential. I do believe it was a turning point. This is the book cover here, and the woman on the cover 
is one of the refugees that she actually worked with and supported. So in Mary Jo's words, it was never my intention to live with refugees. It was not, as they say, part of my game plan. I was in between jobs, perhaps even in between lives. A friend had asked me to take her place as a night manager in a house for refugees until a more permanent replacement could be found. Well, what would be involved, I asked. Oh, just living with them. The simplicity of the request felt like a summoning. I said yes immediately, and I moved into a dilapidated old house near Kiel and Bloor in Toronto. It was only to be for a few months. There were other things I had planned to do, other books I had planned to write. Life, I have learned, is what happens when you are busy planning something else. I had entered a world of strangers, and together we discovered how to become neighbors. Within weeks, I realized that I really liked these people. I enjoyed being with them. And it was a realization shared by other friends who came to visit the house and were introduced to the people living there. It was a way of being we wanted to continue because we had seen what happened when people related to one another as good neighbors rather than as landlords and tenants, social workers and clients, or advocates, lawyers, and cases. We began to talk, to pray, to dream, and to scheme. Thus, the Romero House was born. The Romero House in Toronto became a government-subsidized home that provided not only housing for refugees, but also a community that offered settlement work, support, translators, advocates, legal aid, and family reunification. It was not only one home, but the model multiplied across the whole city of Toronto. It's been replicated elsewhere and held up as a standard in different cities across Canada. The Romero House was a direct response to a need an immediate and desperate need of the lives of so many refugees at that time who were literally falling through the cracks in a system, mostly because the system hadn't been built yet. The need for it was new. The government system was simply not designed to cope with so many families, so many languages, so much post-traumatic stress. The city of Toronto was struggling to keep up, and the Romero House was a citizen response to that gap. Mary Jo founded that, and she also went on to, to found, find, found? I don't know what she did. <laughs> she started um, the Sanctuary Coalition. The Canadian Sanctuary Co Coalition is a voluntary network which advocates fair treatment for refugee claimants and, where possible, seeks remedies for refugee claimants who have been mistakenly rejected. For example, the Sanctuary Coalition appealed directly to the then Prime Minister of Canada on behalf of a group of families and was successful in allowing them to stay. In their words, the Sanctuary Coalition is dedicated to continuing Canada's best traditions of welcoming the stranger. 
I love this line and this sign here. Canada's best traditions of welcoming the stranger is kingdom culture. It's really God's culture amplified in our country. I think it's beautiful. I know that many of you actually here in our church have also been personally involved in refugee sponsorship and have been impacted. I'm sure through this journey, through your relationships, it's changed day-to-day -day things in your life that you hadn't foreseen. If it sounds like something you might want to be involved in, you can talk to our amazing refugee advocate and organizer, Courtney Greaves, about how to get involved. In Toronto, the Romero House has been amazing, but there is one individual whose heart has been changed the most through that process, and that person is Mary Jo herself. But if you take a look back to that little beginning that we read from her book, None of that beautiful activism could ever have happened through Mary Jo had she not been willing to take that first step of simple obedience. Do you remember now the quote we sh shared at the beginning? Simple obedience changes history. She has done that, and she is doing that now with her life. Does it seem so trite? Yet through her step of willingness simply to move in and live with these people for a little while, her heart was transformed, and prayers, dreams, and schemes came about directly because of Mary Jo's heart transformation. The history of refugee support in the city of Toronto, in Canada, has been changed. Have you ever been in a position where you were asked to do something, and you believed it to be the right thing, or obedience to God, yet you hesitated? <laughs> I have actually quite recently. I'm still feeling a little raw from that experience, and I'm here today to share a little bit of that decision with you. Actually, when I was praying this week and asking God what sort of personal story to share alongside the message, I did feel that God really said to me, talk about your humanity. Now, that's a humbling thing to do. <laughs> I'm pretty human. I have a lot of humanity behind me. <laughs> so... I decided to respond to that. In the month of April, our family was living in the United States and participating in a discipleship training school at the University of the Nations. We were enjoying what we deemed our sabbatical leave to be able to refresh, renew, recharge, and gain some professional development alongside a rest. We were living on a campus in Kona, Hawaii, and it was so lovely. This is a picture of us at church. The church building is just in front of us, and that's at the backyard. It's beautiful. You can see why everyone went to church on Sunday morning, right? Look at the view. <laughs> After the lecture phase, the school part was finished, we were invited by one of the teachers, Dr. Ganil Husby, and her husband and family to participate in a mercy ministry outreach to the Philippines. The Huspies were taking a group of students to Cebu, Philippines, to serve with the local YWAM community and ministry there. Oh, sorry, can we just back up one sec? So Dr. Ganil is on the right, her husband is on the left, and her four boys were going with her, actually the same ages as our kids. There was a boy for each and one to spare. <laughs> Jindy was invited by Ganil to be involved in working with local clinics, in hospitals, in prisons, 
And the kids and I could join the local staff in community development projects by working with families and the kids living in the slums. A big part of that work was cooking, delivering, and serving a hot meal to the kids there. Kind of like a food truck, but different. <laughs> so, Ganil and Anvar said, can your family come and serve with us? My immediate reaction was, no way, that's impossible. We have young kids, we have health needs, and that all sounds kind of crazy. It's not for us. Besides that, personally, I was already feeling homesick. I was missing our family, our friends, not to mention my home and my bed. Just familiarity. I wanted to plant tomatoes in my vegetable garden. I had begun to dream and plan towards our return to Canada at the end of June. Actually, I signed up our kids for VBS right here at Elevation in July, and I looked into swimming lessons and summer plans. So to be honest, I didn't really give the idea much serious consideration. But meanwhile, Jindy and our kids felt differently. Jindy was so excited about the opportunity, and although I respected his willingness, I was still really reluctant. I overanalyzed all the potential problems and the risks and the costs when we talked to the boys about it, the kids thought it would be really fun. They were the same ages as the Husby boys. They got along great. Kobe had heard there was crocodiles in the Philippines, and he wanted to meet one. Owen did a little research project at school on the Philippines and learned some fun facts. Like, there are exactly 7,107 islands in the country. <laughs> Miles asked if he would have to go to school while we were there and do homework, and we said no, and he said, oh, I want to go then. So I was the fence sitter. I prayed. I told God all my worries. I sent an email to a few friends here at home, just asking them to pray for us to make a good decision. Along the way, it became very clear to me that my main roadblock was this overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety that I was carrying for the safety of, and well-being of my family. I felt like it was impossible to take my family halfway across the world. I felt responsible for them. I was unwilling, but I did feel God keep asking and prodding and directing us in a gentle way. To be honest, I don't think God would have been disappointed had I said no and had we chosen to come back home and enjoy July right here. The truth is, God and the Husbies could have found someone else to fill the need and serve on the team. It didn't have to be us. It wouldn't have been any less holy for us to live and serve missionally here in Canada this summer. But we didn't. You can go to the next slide now. <laughs> in fact, feeling desperate, I asked God, alongside some trusted friends and one of my teachers, just to take away my fear of the unknown and to trust him and to submit to the process, to travel and to serve God with peacefulness and to simply obey. And my testimony today is that God did exactly that for me and for us. He took away all my fears of international travel, which was a very long list. <laughs> And he replaced those fears with a beautiful spirit of joy, which was exactly the opposite spirit 
of anxiety that I had been carrying along with us. After that fear was released, I was so excited to go. So off we flew from Kona, Hawaii, where the school was, to Cebu City in the Philippines. And at this point, I can't imagine having not served in Cebu with our family and the team. I was so fully surprised at how much I loved it. I was so full of joy. At the end of it, I look back to what a beautiful treasure our family has shared, serving together as a mom, a dad, and kids, and bringing God's blessing to the Filipino people. In our case, or in my case anyways, simple obedience to God was not easy, simple, or straightforward, but it resulted in this beautiful outcome. And I personally, over the past few months, have experienced this freedom from fear and the fear has been replaced with joy, and a very special experience in the history of our family has been created. It's so amazing how God can just pull it all together like that for us. So now I'm going to officially close this. Oh, we can maybe go to the next slide, and that'll show. That's our team full of families and students, lots of kids. Um, I'm going to officially close this in prayer and dismiss us. And then what we'll do is I have a little slideshow to run, but I'll run the slideshow just as we, after we formally close. So we can walk out, you can stay and watch a little bit, or you can just make your way to the sanctuary where um, we'll have questions, discussion questions, and snacks, and some conversation around tables. So if you haven't been here before, you just sort of exit stage right and head around to the gym. And there'll be some tables set up for you there. So why don't I formally close us in prayer? Dear Jesus, thank you so much um, just for your call to simple obedience and especially for the prophet's Isaiah call, prophet Isaiah's call to justice as well. Thank you that we can take steps to, to um, journey with you however we can in our lives. And thank you just for these great possibilities this fall as we open up in the ride for refuge as well. So thank you for this day and thank you for this time. And um, may we just help bring your peace in the world. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, that's it. And we can run the show. Mm -hmm. So again, you're free to leave or watch or continue your discussions.